the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. Everybody, welcome to another show of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast. Today, we are we have Chuck Mosley from Immersat coming out. We're going to talk about all the wonderful things they're doing, satellites and telecommunications and a wonderful thing. So we have awesome show planned for you here. The show is brought to you by Tidewater. They own and operate one of the largest fleets of offshore support vessels in the industry. With over 60 years of experience supporting the offshore energy sector and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more at TDW.com. Chuck, thank you very much for coming out. Thank you for your time. Good morning, Andy. Nice to meet you. Yeah. We're down here in Houston today and week of Thanksgiving, a busy week, but thank you for for making the time. That's, sure. It's also the home of Tidewater. So uh, good, good day and kind of the headquarters of oil and gas around the world. Yes, it is. Yep. Yep. Energy capital for many things, many mm -hmm. things. Well, we're going to talk oil and gas, but we're going to talk much more satellite communications and we're going to go a little different and not just boats and vessels and all that fun stuff. So really interesting topic today. Why don't we just start with a little bit about yourself and, and learn about you, Chuck? Okay. I thank you for that. I joined Inmarsat in January of 2003. It was actually another company that was acquired by Inmarsat, but my, my date with them and in, in this extent in the satellite space goes back almost completing 16 years now. So I should know something about it yeah. uh, by this time. Way and, more than I do. <laughs> Inmarsat has evolved a lot since that time. I've seen a lot of new innovation and uh, happy to talk about it. What did you do before Immers? Have you been in satellites for? No, no. I actually uh, was in telecommunications, worked for a local provider, GTE, which went on to become Verizon. Then I left them and worked for Lucent for five years, joint venture of AT&T and, and GTE owned by Lucent. And was it with a startup from uh, 1999 until 2003, a pioneer in the web-based delivery of what we would now call IoT data. We used to call it SCADA data, but uh, anyway, and that's where I learned oil and gas. So IoT, you mean the Internet of Things? The Internet of Things. Okay. Yes, the the much ballyhooed Internet of Things. A little off track there, but you said you referenced SCADA. So. SCADA stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. Okay. So the, the evolution of that whole world is SCADA has been around for many, many years. It's yep. how people control and monitor things uh, remotely. Then M2M, machine to machine, became sort of the nomenclature. And I, I really don't think that was cool enough for the world. So now we have the Internet of Things. Nice. Ultimately, they all have strong similarities. Internet of Things, in my mind, is might be a little more associated with your smart home and being able to control your thermostats and that type of thing. However, we participate in the industrial side of the Internet of Things, and we can talk about that. That's actually transcended into the offshore world quite nicely as well. I've done it onshore for many, many years. Yeah, I just grabbed on to SCADA. I know that's something still for my day-to-day, -day, just with like all these oil and gas leases, they all more and more have SCADA systems to gather levels and communicate and, and send back all this info. What was intriguing to me about that startup, they told me, we've, we've developed this technology and we want you to help be involved, and they said... The way guys do it, and, and with primarily gas wells more than anything, the way they know how much production they made is they send a guy out, 
a pumper yep. and he would visit the wells one time a week, two times, three times a week. And he would write down on a big chief tablet, if you will, how much volume there was, or they had these mechanical charts that they recorded. And, and it was sometimes 30 days later before a well owner would see how much volume his well made. And I, I didn't believe that. I thought in such a, a technologically advanced business as oil and gas, surely that wasn't true. And not only was it true, it was prevalent. And so we helped begin the, the process of automating that and making things much more efficient. And now CEOs know today how much oil or gas they're well made today. Absolutely. And, uh, it's, a, it's a very necessary function. But all that is serviced by communication, either cell phone or satellite or some... It, it has to have some form of communication because people want to do this. I'm at my wells, I'm a office here in Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. but my wells may be in Saudi Arabia I mean, or anywhere around the world. So the main two forms, I guess, everybody's familiar with cellular. And that's the big towers and they try to disguise them as trees and, and they hide <laughs> them all over the place. We all know about those, but obviously we don't see them too much. But satellite communication is where you guys are really coming in. Inmarsat, so a little, little background on us. In Inmarsat, we just celebrated our 40th year anniversary, formed in 79 as the International Maritime Satellite Organization. So our, our roots are deeply embedded in the maritime world. We are in conjunction with the IMO and that is how we began our foray into maritime safety. And we have built our company from those safety roots. So in, in the satellite space, we own and operate satellite networks. We have the birds built by, uh, to our specifications. We have them launched for us, and then we control them throughout their lives. And not surprisingly, we then market the services that those satellites were designed to produce. And so uh, we, we go back all the way again to 79, starting with maritime safety. We are today how we've evolved. We are, in essence, the 911 button on almost every vessel around the world. So safety is our mantra. Reliability is our mantra, as is required by safety. Then we evolved from that beginning into many other things, as we're known as the mobile satellite company. And while we still have the, the maritime business responsible for a little more than half of our overall revenue, we have three other business units as well other than the maritime business unit. We have an aero business unit where uh, we all want connectivity. You and I want it whether we're at home, on, you know, in the campground, uh, on the golf course, or in an airplane, surprisingly. And so it has become very, very important that people have connectivity on airplanes. And while that is one of the newer of our business units, it is our fastest growing. And we provide internet services and safety and navigational services around the world. But your your main offering is just the, the service, the actual like bandwidth, if you will, for these other services to offer. Like when somebody hits 911, it's not Immersat answering the 911 call. You're offering the the actual communication channel for that. The connectivity the to connectivity. it. In in many cases, we do we do have applications and service centers and that type oh, of okay. thing. But in many cases, yes, that that is exactly correct. And what is how does your role fit in here with with Immersat? So, I have been with Immersat as we mentioned a long time. I spent most of that in the land side doing the this, the M2M and IoT stuff pipelines, oil and gas, energy, utilities. and But the enterprise business is also involved in uh, media, aid and NGO, and many other things. And so now I am with the maritime business unit and have been for about two years now. And we'll talk about that particular offering, but we have evolved our offering. And in 2016, we launched a new 
offering that has uh, become wildly popular and widely accepted. And I have been tasked with forming a new team in the U.S. to handle the Americas for the distribution of that uh, that that service. And what is that service? That service is called Fleet Express. Okay. Okay. And we'll, we'll call it FX for short. But Fleet Express is a combination of one of our legacy products, which is an L-band service, which is, is where we got into true mobility, being able to deliver higher bandwidth. So our L-band heritage goes back to you can pull a small unit, smaller than your laptop, out of your backpack, regardless of where you are in the world, open it up, point it to the sky, and you'll have internet and a voice channel. Whether you're on the ocean, in the desert, it doesn't matter. And L-band technology is such that it's extremely resilient to weather. If you've ever had direct TV or, or one of the TV services and know when a, a thunderstorm comes over, sometimes you may lose a little service. L-band doesn't suffer with that. Okay, so it works in almost any environment, dust storms, snowstorms, rainstorms. So that, that mobility is a, a great platform, but that same L-band service is used on well over 50,000 smaller domes that provide services, communication services, internet and messaging and phone calls to vessels around the world. So that's our L-band piece. We built upon that. And in 2016, we launched a new service and we use it. We call it our GX network, but it is a, a new network of satellites. And those deliver KA band. And KA band is part of the new high throughput satellite or HTS evolution. And we can deliver much higher bandwidths. KA offers us some unique advantages in that we can deliver higher bandwidths with smaller terminals. And the frequency has a lot more room to grow because we while we launched in 2016, we have long-term plans to grow this quite a bit. So the Fleet Express offering, or FX, combines the best. We use our KA band as a primary offering, and then we have the, the electronics in the middle to handle the failover, and we use our L band as a backup. So we sell this as a single service, and a vessel now has the, the high speed of KA band, but if they should encounter any problems with weather or whatever blockage, because satellite is a line of sight technology, we fail over to L-band. And it's just been extremely popular. As a matter of fact, since 2016, we've already done over, we just announced uh, two weeks ago, over 8,000 vessels. Right, so we've, we've been busy. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of got lost finding this place. Those domes are behind the building, right? You've got like four of them out there. Yes. Yes. Those just display pieces? No, those are actual test pieces. Yeah. And we, we bring up different networks and we test before we send them out and that type of thing. And sometimes we bring in units that may have been either repurposed. And so we test them before we reuse them and that type of thing. And those would be mounted on a vessel. But you're also talking about actual like backpack. I mean, you yes. Could you could pull out a sat phone and call like James Bond for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but unlike in the movies where Liam Neeson pulls one out and uses it on an airplane, you, yeah. you, you, you can't do that. Oh, man. It, it does need to see the sky. So our satellites, we own and operate today 13. And if you're, if you're current on news in the satellite network, and many of your listeners may be, we're about to launch another one. It was originally scheduled for Friday. We've had subsequent delays. Usually it's a very, it's a rocket. Okay. So we've had uh, weather delays. We hope it goes up today and that will be our 14th. We actually have, including that one, eight new launches scheduled over the next five years. So we own and operate these birds, satellites. They are all around the equator. We offer a service. It's called our, our network. Our, our type of satellite is called geosynchronous or geo for short. 
There are approximately 22,500 miles up in a fixed orbital slot. So if you if you would imagine a basketball held in your hand and you shined a flashlight on that basketball and you rotated the ball, but you kept the flashlight rotating with it, that beam stays on a fixed portion of the basketball. That's how our satellites work. So we can actually cover the globe with three, and then each of our networks has an additional one, and assumed to be more, for additional capacity and for something that's fairly unique in our business, a spare in the air. So that is a little bit about our network and how it works. But back to that beam, that's where our reliability comes from. One of the things that trendy, a lot of questions I get asked today are, what about this new, you know, the, the LEOs and the MEO, the new type satellites? And while each offers its own advantage, our network is chosen to be a geosynchronous network for that reliability reason, because that beam is always there. It never moves. The, the bird isn't moving across the world. And the, the birds that do move, they actually, with the theory being there's always one overhead, in reality, there really isn't always one overhead. There's one coming or one just left. So ours are always there. And when you need communications, you have it. And that's some of the stuff like you see SpaceX launching, is it called Skylink? I'm not familiar with Skylink, but SpaceX has done a number of launches for others, and, and they've done some for us, as a matter of fact. Even before I started talking with you guys about doing this show, I was just reading all all the satellites, more satellites, more satellites, even stuff where, you know, telescope builders like astronomers are worried that there's, there's going to be so much satellites that they're going to get in the way and kind of see see what block their view sometimes. It is shocking to look at a view of all the satellites that are in orbit and and, and that and then the, the constellations of low earth orbit satellites. See a low the closer you get to the earth, you, your satellites have to move and move fast. Uh, I think the uh, some of them are moving at 14,000 miles an hour wow. to avoid the gravitational pull to pull them in. Ours are in, that's why geosynchronous exists. They are, that's where you expend the minimal amount of energy to keep them in space. You have a lot more longevity, that type of thing. Having said that, Inmarsat is not oblivious to all these new technologies, and we are working and in, in, in doing a lot of experimental type work. Sometimes a LEO operator might want to, the, the problem they might have if they don't have enough of their satellites is they have to download their data once they've received it and they may not be over a ground station. So it, it, we have experimented with sending that up to one of ours where we can get it down real quick. So sometimes you might find kind of a beaten up word, but coopetition, where we might enable some of these guys to work a little better. But that, that might benefit us and our customers in a, in a more positive way too. Yeah, if you have the bandwidth to sell, it's probably sure. good to use it, right? And, we, and we're, we're, we're interested in, in evolving satellite technology and not not just fixed on our own views. You know, I, I don't know the, the newest ones going up. I don't have the figures on, but our last constellation for three birds was $1.5 billion. And so it's very expensive and you design them well in advance, several years in advance. Part of the new technology is that we can divide, we can design and build them faster at a, a lesser expense and that will benefit everyone long-term. So we're, we're playing with that too. And Hence, uh, our being able to launch eight new satellites over the next five years. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, and those are primarily focused on just adding bandwidth for. Yes, the one that is going up now. That is exactly what it will do. It will add additional capacities to our network. 
the, the two after that are scheduled, we're going to do something we've never done before, and we call it a dual payload satellite, where we're going to launch additional feature sets and capabilities to both our KA band network and our L band network. And we have two of those going up. And then the, the two after that, it's a, a little more technical explanation, but we're going to do some software definable beams and software definable locations and that type of thing. And the, the, uh, it's exciting when you're a, a satellite geek like myself <laughs> to see the evolution of what is possible and what we will be able to do. And then finally, the culmination of this, and I think this is in 2022 and 23, when I've said we cover the globe, we, we essentially cover the globe from 75 plus to 75 minus latitudes. We've omitted the North and South Pole due to not too much demand there. However, our last two, and they'll go up in 2022 and 23 will address the North Pole. There's a lot of shipping channels, I believe, and aero traffic that had expressed interest in that. So we're going to launch two birds to address that. And they they operate in a different type of orbit, and it's called an elliptical orbit, but it's, uh, it's really exciting. It is. It's, it's very interesting to learn about, and all of our stuff just works, and we just think, yeah, oh, just, <laughs> you know, it works, you know, but we really don't give a lot of thought to all this, like you're saying, years of preparation to put that that satellite in the sky. And the one that you guys are, are hopefully launching today, I think I heard it will have as more bandwidth than the whole current network of, of yes. satellites for Immersat. Yes, like like so many of us are used to, smaller, cheaper, faster. To our satellite technology is evolving in much the same way, but I, I think it's something like 70 times more powerful wow. each bird. And so it's it's good to know this because no matter how much bandwidth we deliver, people always say, but can we do more? Mm-hmm. And uh, what if I had this? And we, we want to answer yes to all those questions. Well, we want everybody out there in the middle of the ocean to be able to stream this podcast. So Absolutely. that's one of the things you guys are working to offer event currently already, right? And just growing. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. So in, in the maritime space, mm-hmm. one of the, there are a number of important topics to maritime operators. Certainly safety is first. Security is a, is a a huge one and it's been and it's ever growing and so we're very focused on that but one of the phenoms that we're seeing throughout our industry in the maritime space is the attention that is now being paid to crew you'd bring a crew on board typically and, and you, you would give them some internet so that they could do minimal things but you gave them what you had left over you need your your, your communications you would pay for to operate your vessel and get your charts and watch the weather but crew got, you know, and but that has evolved rapidly over the past few years. Social media is a big part of the reason why. If I'm a if I'm a crew member now though, and I have a choice of two or three jobs and I'm gonna be out to sea for two or three months or longer possibly, I'm going to make my decision of where to go or where or whom to stay with largely based on my ability to conduct business much as if I were at home, to keep in touch with my family, to do FaceTime, to stream movies. And so the companies, the OSV operators, the, the you know, even, even merchant, they are now finding themselves in a, a competition for crew. And so we play a role in that. And we, uh, we are embracing that and offering a new offering specifically designed for that. So we're, we're, we're focused on it and it's going to be a fun thing to watch because that causes, it's no different than any of us that go to Starbucks to get our Wi-Fi. Right. They want it and expect it on a vessel. And those are all very high bandwidth, high data consuming, you know, streaming video and audio and FaceTime. I mean, 
that's a lot of information to be moving. Absolutely. We have to, we have to be on our toes and there's a lot of various techniques to use to make sure that works well for everyone. And then we have to keep an eye on making sure the crew gets what they want. But first and foremost is the security and safety of that vessel and the, the boat's operators and the captain getting what he needs first. So we, we enable prioritization of right. that traffic. And then so there, but there's a, there's usually a way to find a happy medium there and, and to control that very carefully. So satellite or security with, within satellite communications. I mean, you know, we think of hackers over the internet and you go to that same Starbucks to get your Wi-Fi, and, and the guy sitting over there is kind of trying to break into your computer. Is satellite communication inherently safer or more prone to, I don't want to say breaking into, but being such a, not everybody has a satellite, right? So mm-hmm. are there different security concerns that you have to look at just for satellite communications versus cellular or Wi-Fi? Or- well, I'm, I'm not a cellular security expert. I'm, I'm not a satellite security <laughs> expert. However, I can, say, I can say this. Satellite is going to be considerably more, more difficult to crack into, right. to hack, if you will. However, anything that goes over the air is, can be intercepted. Then comes down to a matter of the, the diligence expressed in, in, in how you conduct your, your connections. And, and there's, a, you know, the, there's a growing, the bad guys, some, some are looking just to disrupt things. Some are looking to maybe learn something that will give them a competitive advantage in another area. But some are just looking to possibly even take over a vessel and, 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 or cause it distress. And so we, we we have to you know secure our data communications with all those things in mind. And there's if you've dealt with security, there are things called attack vectors, which you and I are an attack vector, meaning that we are the weakest link from security. Something bad happening on our laptop because we control our laptop. Right. People on the vessel, no different. If I have a USB drive and I stick it into my laptop or my tablet or whatever I'm operating on the vessel, that is a possible, so, so, you know, uh, attack vector. So we have different types of security. Uh, there's there's endpoint security, which is is pretty common, but you want to implement that first. But then most vessels are looking to go to what's called a unified threat management level of security, where essentially you do deep packet inspection of every packet going to the vessel and every packet coming from the vessel. That's the diligence that I believe the industry will expect, and that's where we're headed. So That's awesome. Yeah, when you mentioned things like the Internet of Things, the IoT, I mean, oh, you already did one episode on fuel tracks. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I am. But yeah? Yes. So, I mean, that's a ton of information about the fuel system itself, the levels on a vessel, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of vital information being transmitted to shore. Yes, it is. So, yes, safety's got to be huge for that. Imagine someone hacking that and uh, changing all the levels so the vessel were to run out of fuel, rendering it somewhat vulnerable to a uh, pirate or, or whatever, yeah. or, or just general mischievous behavior. I mean, that's what a lot of hackers are. They just want to cause trouble. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Can I do this? Okay. So with all that, where does your... Uh, where does your interaction with the Internet of Things come into play from Immersat? I mean... So... Going back to my days on land, we have enabled a whole new level of reliability and, and, and effective cost from a satellite perspective in delivering the ability to monitor and manage anything remotely, anything, anywhere, essentially. So with all of that experience and, and you know, automation has been forced upon oil and gas operators, whether it be on land or at sea, because of 
you know, prices being uh, diluted. Uh, a lot of the fields, labor force leaving during the cyclical downturns, mm-hmm. you have to do more with less. So the automation was forced on the land guys and they have responded beautifully. And they're achieving new levels of efficiency they never even dreamt possible. No different in the maritime space. And we're seeing the exact same demands. On top of that, what they really want to do is they want to play all the metrics from their vessel's operating conditions, whether it be fuel level, engine RPM, oil levels, ballast tanks, pumps. The the list is endless. I want to get all that data, and then I want to play it into my analytics program so that the meaningful data is tossed aside, but the important data that I can learn from, whether it be to correct a situation immediately or even do predictive analytics. Right. And that's that's the value. So I might determine that a, a one degree change in bearing saves me X amount of fuel, which translates into a million dollars over a year. As simple and as slight as that may sound, this is what the Internet of Things does. So what we've rolled out our FX, our FX offering, the, the KA band and L band system is a platform and it provides connectivity at its basic level, but it is a platform for security services. It's a platform for the crew services I mentioned. It's also a platform for the IoT services where we enable the sensors to be brought into the platform and we're sensor, what we call sensor agnostic. We don't care what type of sensor it is. Right. They just need to speak the same language or protocol. Yeah bring that data in, and then we publish that data back to our customer, the the vessel's owners or operators, into the cloud, into a set of APIs where they can get the data and then use their own analytics platform. Or we also offer our own analytics platform, and I believe ABB is the uh, the chosen provider for that. So we'll do it. We'll, we'll, We'll give them that ability to analyze data that way. So we try to, we, you know, back to your earlier comment, we are a connectivity provider, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And connectivity, nothing happens without that. However, we have tried to move more into those areas to service functionally the applications these providers want to use and essentially have to use. And uh, so to make the communications just that much more not only important, but uh, not surprisingly, we're interested in selling more bandwidth, and mm-hmm. that's one good way to do it. Is there a lot of competition for that bandwidth? I mean, are there other people coming after that 911 button to, to take it over? Well, the, the 911 button is a, is, a, is a tough one because there's a lot of governmental regulations involved. Okay. So yes, there are some that are headed that way and uh, they have significant challenges ahead of them to get that. And, and you know, we wish them well. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been doing this for a long, long time. Right. So we know how difficult it is. Most importantly, we know how important it is. But I guess, you know, there's a Saving lives at sea is one of our marketing lines you may have read about us, and that's absolutely true. So even if it's a competitor that saves lives at sea, we're thumbs up on that because everybody wants to see safety. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I would think that you, you're already pioneered the space. You already have it. I mean, we're the gold standard. You're the the, gold standard. We're the gold standard when it comes to safety and you have to have reliability to provide that. So our reliability, I think is probably, uh, it's our mantra. It is where people know they can trust us for that very reason. But to answer your question about competition, yes, there's, there's a, there's significant competition in in, in all phases of our business. Uh, There are a number of satellite operators out there there are none that I know of that have the the full capability set that we do and the longevity we do. It is 
many people, many of our, even our competitors use their own satellite primary offering, but they buy IRL band offering and create their own backup. And that works beautifully. And we're very happy for that business. It works well. The difference being you then have two providers involved. And if something goes wrong, you have a little bit of finger pointing. Whereas when we offer it as a combined system as FX, we own and operate and control all of it. And that's, I think that plays very well to the, the operators. Yeah, if there's an issue, you know who to go talk to. That's it. It's it's in Marsat. And when it works good, you know who's running it good. <laughs> well, you you said earlier, you know, people use it and they don't they don't even think about it. Right. That's that's what we like. We like it to work and work well. And we hope you really, strangely enough, we hope once you have our system, you think about us very little. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I know you said that you got that in Marsat owns the satellites. Mm-hmm. Are you actually operating them as well? Like- yes. Okay. Yes. We fly them out of our control center in uh, London. In, uh, London, okay. Yeah, yeah we, we have a number of ground stations around the world. Our network is slightly, it's very redundant, slightly different than how some people do it. But every satellite we have in orbit has two ground stations that are uh, geographically diverse. So we have a completely diverse and redundant network. And then we emulate that on the ground as well. So And then we have three major centers around the world where people can connect to us if they wish to connect to us directly. There are a number of ways for them to get their data, but those that are very serious about security would prefer a connection from their headquarters, say, to one of our meet-me points. We have New York, Sydney, Australia, and we have Amsterdam. And so they'll connect to us in one of those places. And then they have sort of a direct link from their headquarters right through our network to their satellite, to their remote through our satellites. And that, uh, that kind of ties things down, makes things more secure, gives them more operational control. So we like to see things done that way, and they, they very often demand things to be done that way. So those, you said ground stations, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that would be where the information would come from a vessel up to the satellite, and then that's where it's going to come back. It's exactly right. I normal. couldn't have said it better okay. myself. The satellite business, that's how it works. So if I send something via satellite, I'll initiate it on your laptop, It'll go across the network to the Inmarsat network, up to our satellite, and down to the remote, whether it be a vessel or a plane or a, a car. And then conversely, when that is sent, it just does the reverse. So Okay. So from those ground stations, it's then traveling through any other means of normal communication that we would be familiar with? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. There's a, we, we call it an MPLS ring, but it's a, it, it's a very standard high-speed networking scheme that people are familiar with. TCP IP traffic, it's, you know, even voice. It's all, we hear this every day and, and people that know understand it, but some just don't think about it, but it's all data now. All of it. That's a good thing, really. It, it, makes it, it makes it faster, it makes it easier to control, and it can make it much more secure. And so the company is based out of London? Is that the- We are London-based, yes. Okay. That is absolutely right. Have you been to that office? Many times. Oh, wonderful. Many times. It's, a, it's, a, it's in central London uh, on the east side in a, uh, an area, I, I believe you would call it. It's, it's the, uh, the Old Street Station. Those are familiar listeners that might be familiar with London, right near Shoreditch and Islington. And it's a, it's a very vibrant area of London. So Wonderful. I'd like to get over For a Texas sometime. boy like myself, it moves <laughs> at a very high rate of speed. <laughs> yeah, Texas, uh, you know, slower country. It's slightly different. It's slightly different. <laughs> I haven't been to London, but I, I would like to go. Somewhere. And they say I talk funny. I don't get that. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't hear it. I'm, I'm here. It sounds like you're from Texas. That's Absolutely. What are, what are some of the things that maybe you wish you had learned earlier when you started your career with satellites and, and this kind of communication? So I had the incredibly 
lucky benefit of being taught data communications. I learned it at SMU where I did a master's in, in, the, in the topic. And, and all I was planning for, I, I, satellite was not, I, I knew about as much as the average person, which was nothing. I was only thinking of a career in telecommunications and all that might evolve. And uh, data communications is a strong part of my background. So I wish, I know we covered those topics. However, I just didn't care. And uh, <laughs> it would have been really cool if I would have paid attention. And so I would have known, I've learned it rather well through the, the School of Hard Knocks and Experience, which is an excellent way to learn things. But I might have been even more useful to our company had I you know, paid a little more attention to satellite. But at the time, I just never, ever imagined myself working with something like that. What are some of the things that you tell people maybe getting into this industry? I mean, what, what drives you to keep, keep moving day well, to day? Well, I tell you what I like. I like the fact that we can reach virtually anyone, anywhere. And uh, so some of the things, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about maritime. And, and these applications uh, are evolving on, on vessels, too, certainly, like telemedicine. Okay. But I've seen some impressive things done through our, our networks whether it be a simple messaging to those impoverished parts of the world where, where you might play, I'll give you an example, the, the message from the Vatican, just a, just a one-way straight shot. But this is to going to impoverished areas in the continent of Africa where they don't have virtually any news source whatsoever. So I take that. Our, our company has done massive amounts of work being the backbone for people, first responders who show up at natural disasters. Oh. So, you know, literally the impact on seeing how we impact improving those types of lives and, and saving lives and preventing loss of life, that's much different than anything I would have ever imagined I would be associated with. And it's very rewarding to, to see and think about. Absolutely. It's not something I would have thought about going into even this discussion or, you know, it's something I was shocked to learn doing a little research and yeah. very, very motivating for sure. Yeah. The, you know, these guys on the vessels, they, they get sick too. And sometimes it can be quite serious or they might get injured, knock on wood. They surely don't like that when that happens. And I don't hear of it a lot, but it, accidents are going to happen. And uh, so being able to diagnose and, 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 and possibly render aid to somebody in that situation via a telecommunications link is just outstanding to me. And I, I have some small, I deal mostly in the energy space. However, we also handle what's called high-end fishing in my group. And I work with a, one you might know, uh, a couple of the vessels that are on the deadliest catch. Oh, okay. okay so Jake Anderson had become a friend of mine. And uh, his vessel is one I get a lot of reports from because we talk a lot. He has the same need. They get sick out there and yeah. they have to do things like this. And he touts the benefits of our system. He's almost like a, a spokesman for us. It's just <laughs> fantastic. So learning these things that people do that my mind really couldn't imagine because I'm not familiar with that lifestyle or that, that, that occupation, I don't know the problems they, I didn't know the problems they deal with. And I, I think we greatly helped them. So anytime I hear it's rewarding to do something you know, I've been in sales for a long time, but when you sell something that is helping people, that's a deeper sense of uh, reward. Absolutely. I mean, I like the teledocs just myself and I'm on land. So yeah, yeah. just not having to, you know. Well, it's, 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 you know, and think about people in South Dakota, North Dakota, that right. there's a lot of places without cellular coverage. And those people are pe pipeline workers, pipeline construction. We do a lot of uh, communications for those guys. Same thing. They get injured, hurt, whatever. 
may not have time to get them to a hospital, which could be four hours away. So uh, we, we can play a role there. Oh, myths. I mean, are there any myths that you face day to day? Well, I get a lot of questions about space junk <laughs> and, you know, what happens if the satellite falls and, yeah. and, and, and these, I don't know that I would call them myths as much as I would call them. I would actually say, I get that. I mean, I, I get why you would be concerned with that. And if you were to see a map of all the satellites, and these are the ones we know of yeah. that are along the equator, you, it might be a little shocking to you. And you say, well, how on earth do they not bump into one another? And since I've been doing this, I mean, it's 16 years, I guess. I only know of uh, maybe one or two complete failures, none of our none on our network, zero, and only one of those was caused by space debris. So that one, I, I understand why people are concerned about it. But if you if you look at a map and you see these things that look like they're stacked on top of one another, you have to keep in mind that's twenty two thousand five hundred miles out there. So the width of a broom straw is a thousand miles probably. Oh, wow. So they're not really that close. But and I think that space agencies do a very good job of watching things and the technology they all use is it escapes me. I can't I can't imagine how they got to be so proficient at doing that. Well, I was actually listening to a podcast driving over here, just doing some research for this interview and kind of learning. And there are agencies that are now working on space debris capture and return. And I mean, they're, it's an issue. It might not be here yet, but it, it's, it's going a, to only get worse. Right. Yes. The, the, the proliferation of, the, of, of space and of satellites is in its infancy because nowadays, where I mentioned how expensive it was to launch the kind of birds we launch, that cost has come down some, but there are, are and, and these birds may fold out, they're, they're, they're quite massive. There are called small sats and cube sats, things that are, you know, two and three feet across. Right. They're much less expensive to build, very inexpensive to launch comparatively. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is you could have thousands or tens of thousands of those. And then, and then what do we have? We have a traffic jam in the sky. So space debris could become more of an issue. Now, now, not for us because they won't be at the altitudes we operate at, but they will. that will have to become a, a closely watched issue. If they're at a lower altitude, could they become like like a filter or like a a blocking a roadblock for your signals? If no, they're, no. it'd have to be pretty yeah, heavy, to, yeah, super that, heavy. Yeah, the the line of sight blockage can occur, but it's really more that's really more of a ground level thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it would have to be pretty massive to to affect it in space. Anything else we haven't touched on that that you want to bring light to here with Immersat? I mean, we touched touched on a lot of stuff, all the different wonderful offerings you guys are providing, both the the maritime fields, the aero field, on land. We do a lot of government work as well. Okay. I am not uh, that well versed on it, as you can imagine. It's it kept kept fairly under wraps, but U.S. government, global government, and and their efforts around the world in the defense business. But no, the maritime space is, is where I, I spend my time. I think we've touched most everything. Uh, again, our, our, our main focus is to this, this FX platform, while it's only been out in, uh, barely four years, if that, 8,000 vessels. And while that is a, a really impressive success story, we think there's a lot more. And uh, you can evolve into a, a lot of the fishing regulations uh, that – the, the fisheries are are becoming much much more. They're they're required to fall under government regulations. So we have a lot of lot of growth there, but we think we will expand our offerings with these new satellites to do 
things that people have said, I would, it would sure be nice if you could do that. Well, we will do that. It's not a matter of if, but when. We have, we think we have a, a very well laid out schedule of when these things will happen. So we look forward to bringing additional capabilities and security to these vessels. And some of that's just, I would think, getting it down to where the cost makes it viable for smaller vessels and yes. people that aren't doing this commercially every day, mm-hmm. right? We do a lot of work with yachts and, and, and personal craft and that type of thing. We have smaller offerings that are, that are very, you can get internet on a boat for the satellite system itself is around, I think, $3,200. It's not very expensive and it'll deliver you internet and voice to a, to a vessel with a, with a dome that's roughly 15 inches around. Very small, doesn't interfect and interfere with the aesthetics of a yacht, which I learned having been around those people. They're very concerned with that. Mm-hmm. So we can hit that market in the end of the very small fishing boat, same thing. And they, they have all kinds of requirements. We just announced a vessel monitoring service, which is a requirement by the, the, the fisheries. And uh, that's something they all have to have to have the, the if you're a commercial fisherman you have to report where you are that is a an absolute hard and fast requirement and those that don't aren't in compliance and the technology to do this has evolved quite rapidly so we just announced a, a new very inexpensive way for these guys to come into compliance so we're excited about that as well yeah that's awesome that's awesome well thank you very much for your time thank it's you really, andy really been interesting Everybody, thank you for listening. This has been the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review, leave us a comment. We will start reading some of the comments on future podcasts. And thank you for tuning in. Here are our events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for January 2020. First of all, Happy New Year. We have a couple of great events coming up to kick off 2020 with y'all. The first one will be a... Houston Happy Hour taking place on January 16th at the Cannon from 6 to 9 p.m. This event will be all about artificial intelligence for oil and gas. Reality, not hype. The event will feature a panel discussion and include drinks and snacks. Be sure to get your tickets. You can find our event right link on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook, or in our Modal Point newsletter every month. The next happy hour we're having is our Denver Happy Hour on January 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Liberty Oil Field Services. This event will have a panel of GEOs and feature a live recording of the Crude Audacity podcast. So it'll be super cool. Be sure to join us. Also get your tickets once again from the links posted in our Modal Point newsletter or on Oil & Gas Global Networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We also will be having a Pittsburgh happy hour sometime in February with the date coming soon. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Other events on deck include the Houston API Energy General Meeting on January 14th. Guest speaker Eric Switzer, VP Global Services of Baker Hughes, will be discussing accelerating transformation in oil and gas. The 2020 Industrial Market Outlook and Networking event will be on January 23rd in Houston and they will be discussing the latest trends that will impact project spending in North America, including the Gulf Coast region, over the next 12 to 24 months. Lastly, the Wildcatters Ball will be held on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA Educational Foundation. The proceeds will go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and check in next month for the events on deck for February.
Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.